Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Tonight on The Readout, Elmer Stewart Rhodes, leader of the Oath Keepers, was found guilty today of seditious conspiracy in the biggest verdict yet in the January 6th plot to overturn the presidential election. January 6th committee member Jamie Raskin joins me. Also tonight, Kevin McCarthy is still carrying water for Donald Trump, excusing Trump's dinner with white supremacist Nick Fuentes by essentially calling Trump a dupe, with the former president of the United States having no idea who's sitting at his own dinner table at supposedly secure Mar-a-Lago, you know, where all those stolen top-secret documents were kept. Plus, he said he wanted to debate me. Now Herschel Walker is ghosting me. Where should we have that debate, Herschel? At the home you claim is your residence in Georgia? Or at the house in Texas, where you really live? We begin tonight with breaking news from a federal courthouse in Washington, D.C., where a jury has found Oath Keepers founder Elmer Stewart Rhodes guilty of seditious conspiracy in connection with the January 6th attack on the U.S. Capitol. This is the highest profile case resulting from the insurrection. Rhodes is one of five members of the far-right extremist group who have been facing numerous charges in the nearly two-month-long trial. While only Rhodes and another member, Kelly Meggs, were found guilty of seditious conspiracy— All five were found guilty on a number of different charges, including conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding, obstruction of an official proceeding and aiding and abetting, and conspiracy to prevent an officer from discharging their duties. As The New York Times points out, seditious conspiracy is the most serious charge brought so far in any of the 900 criminal cases stemming from the vast investigation of the Capitol attack, an inquiry that could still result in scores, if not hundreds, of additional arrests. The charges upon which these uh, gentlemen were consp- uh, convicted today carries a maximum penalty of 20 years in prison. This was a major test for the Justice Department's sprawling investigation into the attempts to keep Donald Trump in the White House at all costs. Joining me now is NBC News justice reporter Ryan Riley. And Ryan, you've been following this trial day to day it seems to me that these two highest profile convictions of Kelly Meggs and Elmer, who calls himself Stuart Rhodes, they matter a whole lot, especially since they both testified in their own defense. Talk a little bit about sort of how the trial played out. Sure. So, I mean, I think it's a very, uh, you know, obviously it's the biggest charge that we've seen thus far. But I think one thing that, you know, we've seen an ongoing theme in these January 6 cases where we've seen a lot of attacks on D.C. jurors suggesting that they're too biased to be able to evaluate these charges. And what we've seen, I think, in this case and in other recent cases is that D.C. jurors are taking these cases extremely seriously and taking their duty very, very seriously. Um, they didn't just give the government everything they wanted here. They looked at these charges very closely, evaluated them. And I think it gives a lot of credibility when you have a mixed verdict like this in terms of the, the um, you know, the integrity of, of that verdict and the, the true guilt of the individuals who uh, were found uh, guilty of this very serious charge that uh, the government is seeking here. And, you know, ultimately, frankly, 
basically, because all of them were convicted of this obstruction of justice charge, that has the same criminal exposure as seditious conspiracy. It's just, it's just that seditious conspiracy uh, is this, of course, more serious charge and one that carries a lot of emotional weight uh, and has been brought very infrequently in American history, dating back to the Civil War, in fact, is when uh, it came about. So to have Stuart Rhodes uh, and uh, Kelly Meggs convicted of seditious conspiracy um, in this historic attack on the U.S. Capitol, I think, is, is definitely one uh, for the history books here and a significant notch, I think, on, on DOJ's belt in terms of uh, the convictions that they've secured uh, thus far. And, and I mean, I think the other thing that's, that's important here is that, you know, Stuart Rhodes, or we'll call him Stuart Rhodes, um, and Kelly Meggs, Kelly Meggs was sort of the Florida kind of leader of that part of the uh, attempts to keep Donald Trump in power. Obviously, Stuart Rhodes was kind of the overall sort of big picture leader, but they weren't people who busted into the Capitol, right? Like, the the other people had varying degrees of responsibility, but I'm noticing that three of them, Kenneth Harrelson, Jessica Watkins, and Thomas Caldwell, all of whom are military veterans, they were not convicted on the seditious conspiracy charges. Was there a difference in the way the government was approaching their portion of the trial? Yeah, you know, I think that Kelly Meggs and Stuart Rhodes had some of the most violent rhetoric, and especially in terms of pre-planning and talking about violence ahead of January 6th, and then especially with Stuart Rhodes after January 6th, is where we sort of saw the most evidence that I think differentiates them uh, from the three individuals who were found not guilty. Stuart Rhodes didn't go inside the Capitol, uh, but he did, in, you know, he did, in fact, talk about how he wished they brought guns that day and, and talked about how he wishes, you know, he had strung up uh, Nancy Pelosi from a lamppost uh, on January 6th. And that was a secret recording that was made after uh, the January 6th attack. So a lot of that violent rhetoric, I think, was really what differentiated, I think, those who were found guilty of seditious conspiracy uh, from those who weren't. Ryan Riley, great reporting. Thank you very much. Really appreciate you. Joining me now is Congressman Jamie Raskin of Maryland, a member of the January 6th Select Committee. Uh, and Congressman, thank you so much for being here. I want to go back through some of the evidence that we actually have seen during the January 6th hearings that I think is really important and makes this case really important. Going back, Washington Post reported that four days after the January 6th uh, insurrection, Rhodes was recorded trying to tell Donald Trump that it was not too late to use paramilitary groups to stay in power by force but expressed regret about not bringing guns and doing it himself, saying if he's not going to do the right thing and he's just going to let himself be removed illegally, then we should have brought rifles. We should have fixed it right then and there. I'd hang, as we just heard Ryan Riley report, effing Pelosi from the lamppost. And messages between Kelly Meggs and Stuart Rhodes in late December about January 6th, one said, we're thinking that this is the plan. He, meaning Trump, wants us to get S kicked off. Post two about what Trump tweeted about, it's going to be wild. It's going to be wild. It's going to be wild. He wants us to make it wild. That's what he's saying. He called us to the Capitol and he wants us to make it wild. Sir, yes, sir. Gentlemen, we're heading to D.C. Pack your S. In your view, does, do these convictions, particularly of these two, Kelly Meggs and Elmer Stewart Rhodes, push us closer to a potential indictment of the man they did it for, Donald Trump? Well, seditious conspiracy means conspiracy to overthrow or put down the government of the United States. And there were 
are significant elements that were part of the vanguard of the mob who stormed our windows and assaulted our officers, who clearly were set upon the goal that Donald Trump had outlined of stopping the steal, in other words, interfering with the federal function of counting electoral college votes and then storming the Capitol to drive the House, the Senate, and the Vice President out of the chambers and uh, out of the legitimate process and replacing it with something else that would lead to Donald Trump seizing the presidency. So I think that uh, the Oath Keepers were just one element of the insurrectionary forces that were unleashed on that day. The way to think about the insurrectionary and coup-like activities taking place were that they were a mega offense against American constitutional democracy, democracy, and then there were all of these discrete individual criminal offenses committed by these hundreds and hundreds of people who are being prosecuted, many of whom are pleading guilty, but others who are being convicted, and some of whom are being acquitted, all of which demonstrates that the American system of justice is working, and these are fine-grained, subtle decisions that a jury of their peers um, is making. But, I mean, the reason I ask about Trump is that, you know, I mean, let me play for a second. This is um, Enrique Tarrio and Stuart Rhodes together. So let's just look. This is three for my director. So we know that if we're talking about seditious conspiracy, you had the Proud Boys who Donald Trump had previously said, stand back and stand by. They immediately respond on social media saying, sir, yes, sir, we're standing back and standing by. Then you have the paramilitary Oath Keepers and Three Percenters. The, these groups are meeting in advance. You still have not had the trials of Enrique Tarrio and the Proud Boys. This suggests to me that they might be in some trouble, right, if they were able to prove this very difficult charge, seditious conspiracy. But can you have a seditious conspiracy to overthrow the government on behalf of a particular president and have that president not be both the beneficiary and a part of the conspiracy? Well, um, there's no doubt that he was the beneficiary. And, you know, if he were part of that specific conspiracy involving uh, the Oath Keepers and Stuart Rhodes, then he would need to be prosecuted for those charges. What the January 6th committee found is that his tweet calling everybody to Washington at exactly the time, place, and date that Congress was meeting in joint session to count the Electoral College votes was the tweet heard around uh, the right-wing internet and that mobilized and catalyzed all of these groups into action. So there's no doubt in my mind that uh, that call to action was what led to the the Proud Boys and the Oath Keepers and the other domestic violent extremist groups mobilizing for that day. Uh, That's different, though, from saying that he was part of that particular conspiracy. And um, if he was part of particular criminal conspiracies, that case would have to be made against him, that there was a meeting of the minds between him and uh, other co-conspirators and that they took an overt act to advance the conspiracy. But uh, I believe that there has been a lot of evidence adduced through a, you know, a bunch of these hearings that would suggest there's sufficient evidence to prosecute Donald Trump for that. But that's just you know, my own uh, take on it. And obviously, this is up to the Department of Justice and the executive branch 
at this point, but people should turn over all of the evidence they've gotten. People should come forward to testify about what they know, and I'm glad that the January 6th committee has been part of that process of surfacing all of the evidence. We know that Tony Ornato um, testified uh, before the January 6th committee that you all are putting all these puzzle pieces together. And I guess I stick with this because you have Donald Trump insisting that he wanted to march to the Capitol. He clearly understood that something was going to happen at the Capitol that per what we've heard in the January 6th hearings, he wanted to be a part of. He wanted to be a part of a certain spectacle. We knew that he called these folks. You know what January 6th is and the significance of it because you're a constitutional scholar and an expert. I'm a nerd, so I knew what January 6th is. Most Americans really never attached much of a importance to this date. It's not like a commonly known date like January 20th is, right? The inauguration date. Yep. So the fact that he educated people as to this date being important and the fact that he produced this kind of response. Here is Stuart Rhodes himself talking about Trump's, Trump's sort of vision and what he, what he believed Trump wanted to see. This is cut for. Play this, please. He needs to know from you that you are with him, that he does not do it now. While he is commander-in-chief, we're going to have to do it ourselves later in a much more desperate, much more bloody war. Let's get it on now while he is still the commander-in-chief. CNN just said that they evacuated all members of Congress into a safety room. There's no safe place in the United States for any of these right now let me tell you i hope they understand that we are not joking around military principle 105 military principle 105 cave means grave trump just tweeted please support our capitol police they are on our side do not harm them that's saying a lot by what he didn't say he didn't say not to do anything to the congressman (laughs) And you are from, very familiar with that. That was recordings of Stuart Rhodes. That was the first clip that we saw. The second bit was various Oath Keepers talking on their own radios on that day. And so I, I guess my sort of outro question to you, Congressman, is does the conviction of these men, all five on some charges, two on seditious conspiracies, coming trials for more members of what we now understand to have been a seditious conspiracy to overthrow the government, to overturn an election, make it more likely, in your opinion, that the January 6th committee, when you finish your work at the end of this year, will send over your recommendations that the Justice Department go forward with this prosecution? I know that there's a special counsel, but is that what you think the January 6th committee will will recommend? Well, let me just say that, you know, in our system of justice, the determined guilt of defendants in a particular case does not imply the guilt of defendants in another case. And, um, you know, people are obviously impatient for justice because this was such an outrageous assault on the American system of government in our constitutional democracy. But each of these defendants, including potentially Donald Trump, if he is uh, indicted and prosecuted, uh, gets to Uh, put on their own defense, and the government must sustain the burden of proving beyond a reasonable doubt that every element of the offense has been met, which is what the government had to show um, in the Oath Keepers case. But just to go back to the point that you made before, Donald Trump 
from the standpoint of democracy, set all of these events into motion. Um, the groups that were planning to protest Biden were calling for protests either on January 20th, the day of the inauguration, or after January 20th, when I, I think the uh, Women for America First group had gotten its permits. And then Trump and his forces got everybody to move the protests up to January 6th at 1 p.m. at the Capitol, and that's when he began to mobilize everybody's attention directly on the Capitol to stop the steal. In other words, to go in and to interfere with the counting of electoral college votes, which of course is what happened. And it was preceded by all of his statements about how you've got to fight like hell. If you don't fight like hell, you're not going to have a country anymore. When there's fraud involved, there are completely different rules and so on. So yeah, all of that led to both a majority in the House and a majority in the Senate finding that Donald Trump had incited an insurrection against the government of the States. So I guess in answer to your question, I would say Congress has already determined that there was incitement to an insurrection, which took place here. And now there are criminal convictions of people for seditious conspiracy, for conspiracy to overthrow the government. It doesn't prove anything advanced about other cases, but it certainly demonstrates the character and the magnitude of the violence that rained down upon us on January the yeah. 6th. Well, I would love to have you back. I love talking Constitution with you, and I, I would love to have a conversation about whether or not the 14th Amendment uh, clause ought to be used, because this man is attempting to regain the presidency. And if even if he just did this, as you said, and he's not convicted of a crime in, a, in relation to it, the idea of him being president of the United States again should put the chill in everyone's bones. Uh, Congressman Jamie Raskin, Thank you very much. Always appreciate you. And up next on The Readout, the man who wants to be speaker is still making excuses for the guy we were just talking about, Trump. Because, you know, Trump had no idea that he was having dinner with a prominent white supremacist. You know, he just got duped. He's easy to dupe. Readout continues after this. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars Rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. Luxury is meant to be livable. Discover the new leather collection at Ashley with premium quality leather sofas, recliners, and more, all built to last. No matter how many spills, scuffs, or pet-related mishaps come its way, the leather collection at Ashley is made with the durability you need for the whole family. Shop the new leather collection at Ashley and find chairs starting at $499.99 and sofas at $599.99. Ashley, for the love of home. A handful of Republicans have spoken out about Donald Trump's Mar-a-Lago dinner guest, the outspoken anti-Semite and white supremacist Nick Fuentes. They've either condemned Trump outright or made the obvious statement that anti-Semitism is bad, so wrong, without avoiding, while avoiding any mention of Trump himself. But the most important response came from Republican House Leader Kevin McCarthy, whose response is very telling of what his party is willing to overlook. I don't think anybody should be spending any time with Nick Fuentes. President Trump 
uh, came out four times and uh, condemned him and didn't know who he was. Well, he just said he didn't know who he was. He didn't condemn him or his ideology. Well, I condemn his ideology. Ah, yes, the whole he didn't know who he was bit. Feigning ignorance, a form of Republican gaslighting. The same tactic used by Marjorie Taylor Greene when she spoke at the annual Nick Fuentes white supremacy prom. She said she had no idea who he was, never heard of him. Yet she spoke at his conference and joined him on stage right before he called young white men America's secret sauce and applauded Putin and Russia. But you know who Marjorie does know? Her former intern, Milo Yiannopoulos, remember him? The misogynistic, racist, xenophobic, transphobic troll who called Islam a barbaric alien religion. Breitbart's white nationalist Pied Piper, Steve Bannon, gave him a platform when hiring Yiannopoulos as the website's editor. But Milo resigned after a video of him endorsing pedophilia resurfaced online. You know, he kind of disappeared after that and the world moved on. Well, guess what? Milo is back. A source told NBC News that the entire dinner was an elaborate scheme orchestrated by Yiannopoulos. Yiannopoulos, who is anti-Trump and an advisor to Ye, told NBC News, quote, I wanted to send a message to Trump that he has systematically, repeatedly neglected, ignored, abused the people who love him the most, the people who put him in office. And that kind of behavior comes back to bite you in the end. It appears Trump, the bully, the heckler, the harasser, the troll, finally got trolled. He should have seen this coming. It was Trump, after all, who brought this toxic, gross trolling back into conservative politics. The Internet mob mentality and abuse campaigns that are now the Republican norm. Yiannopoulos, Fuentes, yay, they've all got one purpose, getting Trump back to this base. Even better, getting a seat at the dinner table. Joining me now is MSNBC political analyst and former Senator Claire McCaskill and Kurt Bardella, Democratic strategist and former spokesman for the House Oversight Committee. And more importantly, for the purposes of this, someone who knows these people. And so I'm going to call upon you. I know you, you, you hate to go back there, my friend. <laughs> Don't bring me back there, Joy. Got to put you back there. I mean, I remember Milo Yiannopoulos because this was the time when Twitter was the worst. Yeah. It was the worst of the worst. This was the meme era. This was when you first saw Pepe the Frog memes, yep. Nazi, the Pepe the Nazi Frog memes. You know, he was a super troll. Um, he ended up uh, attacking a brilliant comedian from NBC News and getting bounced off Twitter. Mm-hmm. Um, but he only was set aside by Breitbart at all after the, you know, saying pedophilia was OK. That right. came out. But then Milo pops back up. He becomes Marjorie Taylor Greene, ironically, her intern, even though she's supposedly QAnon. They're supposed to be against pedophilia. <sighs> so I in your view, isn't this just a return to that era, like around that 20 12 to 2015 era when the social media kind of memeology world and attack world was ascendant and they loved Trump. Yeah, in a lot of ways, people like Milo, they're kind of the, the OGs of the Twitter trolls and of this new form of hate speech that manifests itself across social media. And, it, and it's not an accident, by the way, that all of this came at a time when who was our president? The first black president exactly. in the history of this country. That's not an accident. That's by design. And through the figures that have now emerged in today's Republican Party— the Marjorie Taylor Greens, the Matt Gaetzes, the extremists, the Kerry Lakes, they have they see these people as a vessel for them to return to prominence because it's not that their views are so out of line with the Republican Party. It's that now the Republican Party has moved and embraced openly these what used to be called extreme fringe you know, perspectives that would get you kicked out of the club. Well, now they see in these figures a way back and they are getting that warm embrace. And the fact that someone like Milo could be in a position to set up a meal with the former president of the United States 
at a place where the guy kept classified documents right. should terrify just about everybody. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, Claire, it isn't surprising to me that Donald Trump met with my, with, with um, Fuentes. It just isn't surprising to me because, number one, he was there with a celebrity, Kanye West, now known as Ye. So Trump's easy to, to get at that way. But also the, the things that the things that Fuentes fundamentally says, I've never heard Trump refute them. And I've never heard Kevin McCarthy or any of them really denounce them because the the truth of the matter is he represents part of their base. And you've you've worked with some of these senators who I don't know if behind the scenes they've admitted to you. They've had to make compromises in their moral fiber and accept some of this neo-Nazism and fascism and this gross meme stuff because they think it's the only way to win. Well, I think what we saw today with Kevin McCarthy is exhibit A, when someone is so desperate for power, they set aside all of their moral character. Yes, McCarthy said Fuentes was a bad guy, but then he proceeded to lie. Just out and out lie. I mean, lying has become the norm now because Trump kind of patented it in the White House. He showed everyone you can lie and still have political success. So he lied to say that Trump had denounced him. Trump has never denounced these folks, ever. He told him to stand back and stand by. He's claimed ignorance, the guy who wants everybody to vote for him because he's so freaking smart. Then the minute he wants to play dumb, all of his followers go, oh, he just didn't know any better. And, and, and you look at Marjorie Taylor Greene. I mean, this is a woman who went to the conference. So did Gozar. Yes. And what is McCarthy doing right now? McCarthy is killing himself to try to please those two so he can hold on to the bare number of votes he must have to become Speaker of the House. It is a sad, sad commentary on where the Republican Party is right now. But let me play a little bit of it for those who haven't heard enough of him. This is what Fuentes sounds like. Here he is. When you look at these things like uh, abortion, it's popular. People like abortion, hate it, but it's true. And you can thank the Jewish media for that. Abortion's popular. Sodomy's popular. You know, being gay is popular. Being a feminist is popular. Sex out of wedlock is popular. Contraceptives are that's all popular. That's all. That's not to say it's good. That's not to say I like that. Popular means the people support it, which they do. And uh, and it sucks, and it is what it is. But that's why we need uh, dictatorship. <laughs> that's unironically why we need to get rid of all that. We need to take control of the media or take control of the government and force the people to believe what we believe. So you've had, Kurt, you know, some people come out and say, well, that's horrible, you know, and say he's a terrible person. They don't want to talk about Trump. They say, but Trump's not an anti-Semite. They, they carve out of that. Trump's not a bad guy. He shouldn't have had him at the table. But the problem is the rest of what Fuentes just said. Uh, to me, that doesn't sound any different than fundamentally what the party platform is. They don't believe in elections. They don't necessarily like the idea of democracy. Mike Lee said democracy is a bad idea. They don't like the idea of women controlling their bodies. Mm -hmm. They clearly wouldn't mind having a dictator because they don't think that elections matter. They think they should just decide who the president of the United States is. They hate the culture. They're angry that the culture is too friendly to LGBTQ people. I, I just I, I see a very small degree of difference between what he believes and what they believe. I just I well, don't see and, it. And I think this is the reason why you've seen for days now Republicans kind of tripping over themselves trying to figure out how do we talk about this? How do we talk about this in a way that doesn't scare away the base of people 
that represent really their core constituency at this point. The Problem Party is a white party, and they traffic in white nationalistic policies. And that's been the case. We have to go back just to Charlottesville and, and both very fine people on both sides of this thing. Like, It's not shocking that Donald Trump hasn't come up with any vocabulary about this at all that makes any sense. It's not shocking that Republicans are doing everything they can to avoid criticizing Donald Trump. And oh, by the way, I seem to remember them, the Republican Party, making President Barack Obama have to answer for words that were said in his presence by Reverend Wright and making that all about Obama and that he's responsible and that he should be held accountable, running you know, millions of dollars in ads about that. And yet when it comes to Donald Trump and the guy that he had dinner with at his dinner table at his home, they want to give him a free pass. All of a sudden, he's a dumb guy who doesn't know anything, who doesn't have access to a Google machine. He's like a little kid. I mean, you know this. I know, even, you know, Claire knows this, too. You don't accept invitations when you're at that level without knowing who they are. Your staff vets these things. You don't speak at something and go to a conference and not have your staff tell you what it is and what you're doing. The, the, the ignorance claim here is laughable and it's, just it's completely laughable. unbelievable. And I think you could have totally agree on that, Claire, that you're, you know, a, a former president, you just can't go have dinner with them and, and, be an, and, not, and they don't know who you are. But I, I have to go back and I hate to harp on it. This is a party whose main, forget Donald Trump for a moment, their mainstream politicians are banning books about the Holocaust. Their mainstream supposedly politicians are banning books by black and LGBTQ authors. Their mainstream politicians are suing Disney because they don't like the fact that Disney makes, you know, films with too many gay people in them and they don't like it. They're, they're, they don't say gay is the policy in a mainstream Republicans state that he runs. They're, they're, they're banning protest. I, I, this is my, my challenge, Claire is that this kid is an idiot who does a, you know, he's an idiot Nazi who does a show in his parents' basement. But the problem is the, the supposedly better Republicans are doing the stuff I just mentioned, and they get called mainstream just because their name isn't Trump. Well, I think it's a fair point. I, I think you can look no further than the vote today on the Senate floor, um, where you had the majority of the Republicans vote against a bill it was loaded down with protection for religion and religious differences on the subject of marital equality, but it stood for an important principle, and that is marriage, legal marriage, should be recognized in every state in the union. Um, it was a really, frankly, not a bold step. It is something that the vast majority of Americans agree with, but the majority of the elected Republicans in the Senate rejected it. Only 12 voted for it, and the majority of them are retiring. So it is really fair, I think, to say that the culture wars have become the main attraction in the Republican Party, not policy, not how big should the government be or what tax policy should be or even what foreign policy should be, but rather culture wars. And I don't think most Americans think that's what this should all be about. And I think in the long run, they're going to pay a price for it, Joy. And in the end, it, if you're making it illegal to teach about the Holocaust without telling the other side or the other side of slavery, don't sit there and get mad at Trump for, for eating with the Nazi. Because maybe you ought to look at your own policies and talk to the man and the woman in the mirror. That's all I'm saying. The, the former Senator Claire McCaskill and Kurt Fardella, thank you very much. Up next on The Readout, the Georgia runoff is testing the Republicans' willingness to go along with myths and lies and ignore basic truths like the fact that Herschel Walker isn't really qualified and, by the way, doesn't even really live in Georgia. You can make it up. The Readout continues.
after this. Hey friends, are you struggling to attract and retain top talent? If you're worried about recruiting and retention, consider Insperity, a leading HR provider. They'll help you improve hiring and compensation practices so you can spend more time growing your business and less time on HR. Visit Insperity.com and download their free ebook on how to build your dream team. Don't let a lack of talent hinder your success. See how Insperity provides HR that makes a difference at Insperity.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code WELCOME to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code WELCOME at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com. To understand what Republicans believe qualifies Georgia Senate candidate Herschel Walker, let's go back to this time 40 years ago. Herschel Walker, five. Now at the University of Georgia, Walker has combined the speed of a world-class sprinter and the power of a runaway beer truck to trample opponents. Herschel just went 60 yards. Walker is from rural Georgia, where every day as a youngster, he ran four miles to build his speed and endurance. Well... It seems like that might be the last time Herschel Walker actually lived in Georgia. It is a known fact that Walker was living in Texas when Donald Trump tapped him to run from the Senate from Georgia and only registered to vote there last year. But Walker has claimed to have had a residence in the state of his birth for the last 17 years. As the Daily Beast reports, however, Walker only recently stopped renting out that residence. According to Fulton County Tax and Property Records, the home is solely owned by Walker's wife, Julie Blanchard, defining the asset as Georgia residence, adding the rental income, which was earned between 2020 and 2021, suggests the Walkers had not only not been living in Georgia before his campaign, but hadn't used the home for anything but a passive cash stream. And in addition to that, tax records in Texas Show Walker received a tax break on his $3 million home there, claiming it as his primary residence. Now, you'd think that living in Texas while running to represent Georgia in the Senate would be a problem. But for the MAGA Republican Party, we just know that the lies, they don't matter. It didn't matter to Republican voters when Mehmet Oz, whose luxurious home is in New Jersey, ran for Senate in Pennsylvania. And it didn't matter to Republican voters when San, Fran when San Francisco venture capitalist J.D. Vance decided to once again cash in on his so-called hillbilly elegy, Ohio roots, to run there. Of course, it also didn't matter to Republicans when it turned out Herschel Walker had multiple undisclosed children in Texas. Or that he'd probably have had even more except for all those abortions that he allegedly paid for. Maybe in Texas? But I digress. In the meanwhile, Georgians continue early voting continues uh, to shatter early voting records, shattering the all-time daily turnout record on Monday when officials say an astounding 301,000 voters cast their ballots. Joining me now is Jason Johnson, professor of journalism and politics at Morgan State University and host of the Slate podcast, A Word, with Jason Johnson. Um, and Jason, look, I, I get it. You know, people, I, I, go, I go back and forth from New York to the DMV because my kids live, you know, in, in Harlem, you know. But you can only really claim to live in one state. And run in one state. What do you yeah. make of the fact that his state is Texas? 
I, I will say as a universal, right, the old the old fashioned term is carpetbagger, right? I, I don't like people who just move into a state to run. I want you to have two or three years. I to, to be fair, I didn't like it when Hillary Clinton decided she was gonna run in New York. I was like, what's your real connection there? So this is a legitimate thing that I dislike politically. But objectively speaking, I don't think Herschel Walker's really been there that long. I need a proof of life. I need a picture of him at like Zaxby's off Ponce de Leon Avenue in like 2015. Like some indicator, a picture of him at varsity, right? which real Atlantis don't really go to anymore, but like some indicator that he's actually had a life in the state of Georgia. And here's the thing. It's one thing to sort of hop and play residences uh, when you're trying to run for office, but when you're getting tax breaks in another location in another state, that is a problem. I wish, Joy, that this would make a difference, but I promise you, the kind of people who don't have a problem with someone being incoherent, not knowing how many kids they have, and a history of abuse of women are not going to care about tax fraud two weeks before an election. But here, let me, this is, this is what really gets me, though. It, it's, it's, it's not just the, the cheating, it's the, it's the stupidity. It's the inability to even cover it yeah. up properly. This is a speech, and I'm going to credit CNN with this. CNN just uh, posted this. This is a speech that uh, Herschel Walker gave in January of this year. Okay, he knew he was going, okay, he knew what his political plans were. And here's how he opened the speech I live in Texas. <laughs> I live in Texas, he said, while speaking at the University of Georgia College Republicans. He was criticizing Democrats for not visiting the border. And he said, I went down to the border off and on sometimes. And he said he ran, he decided to run for the Georgia Senate seat while at his Texas home after seeing the country divided. Everyone asks me why I decided to run for the Senate seat. Because to be honest with you, this is never something I ever, 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 ever thought I would in my life I would do. And that's the honest truth. As I was sitting in my home, in Texas, this is what he said. I was sitting at my home in Texas and I was seeing what was going on in this country. I was seeing what was going on in this country while they're trying to buy the people. This guy was not even bright enough to not say, I live in Texas. They think he's bright enough to be a senator. <laughs> but I wish that's not the dumbest thing he said, right? That's not the dumbest thing he said. It's deeper than just talking about good and bad air. I am still trying to comprehend his sort of fan fiction twilight explanation of whether he wants to be a vampire or a werewolf, which makes absolutely no sense to me, which is a latest commercial that's been pushed by the Warnock campaign. Like the man makes absolutely no sense. The most distressing thing that I have seen in the state of Georgia right now and throughout the election next week is not that I think that the guy is probably going to lose, is that there are millions of people in that state who actually think someone who is this dumb, and I will say objectively dumb, objectively not capable of doing the job, would actually be their better representative. There are 50 million MAGA Republicans in the state of Georgia who could do a better job of representing constituents than this person. And yet, for some reason, $500 zillion have been spent, uh, you know, half of which by the Republican Party to put this absolutely incompetent person in the Senate. But I, but I mean, isn't the reason for that and the sad reason for that and the reason Lindsey Graham likes him is that unlike Tim Scott, he would never even try to make legislation. And you saw what Lindsey Graham did to Tim Scott when he did try to do uh, you know, policing reform. He squashed him like a bug. They want a person who will simply say, yes, sir. What would you like me to do, sir? How would you like me to vote, sir? And won't even try to stand up for himself. That's what they want, a it, puppet. It, yeah, yeah, enjoy. And here's the thing. It's one thing to get a rubber stamp on MAGA legislation, right? But I think... To, to say that Herschel Walker is a rubber stamp would be too complimentary. I mean, rubber is actually malleable and you could do something with it. He's like, like a doorstop, 
like a like a, just a brick doorstop. Like that that is the only thing that he could be useful for. I wouldn't trust him to vote the right way, to be perfectly honest. Even if you wanted someone to just say whatever Lindsey Graham wants is right, I don't know that he would be able to read the legislation enough to say yes or no, unless they allow thumbprints that have been stuck in ketchup. So I, you know, again, the fact that anybody would want to vote for this man is shocking to me. It's embarrassing. Yeah. And George is better than that. And by the way, Herschel, we're still waiting for you to call me back because you said you wanted to debate me. I didn't say I wanted to debate you. I ain't running against you. Call us back because I want to do this debate. I said <laughs> yes already. Take yes for an answer. Thank you, Jason Johnson. Up next on the readout, call us, Herschel. Uh, the U.S. advanced to the knockout round in the World Cup after a tense match against Iran. Stay with us. For nearly three months, Iran has been gripped by unrelenting anti-government demonstrations. Hundreds of thousands of Iranians have taken to the streets to demand greater freedom for women and regime change in the wake of the death of 22-year-old Masa Amini. These protests have prompted violent crackdowns at the hands of the Iranian Revolutionary Guard, which have led to global condemnation. The Iranian hardline president accused President Joe Biden of inciting chaos, terror, and the destruction of another country because he expressed support for the protesters and called and he called America the great Satan. Amid this political turmoil, two old foes met on the soccer pitch. There was tremendous pressure on both teams. After 99 excruciatingly stressful and practic- and particularly physical minutes, the United States sent Iran home, and it is unclear what awaits them when they get back to Iran. Joining me now is Kareem Sajapur, a senior fellow at the Carnegie Endowment for International Peace. I'm so glad you're here. Um, what do you think is awaiting them when the team gets home? I think certainly these players were under tremendous pressure. But as you alluded to, Joy, there's been national protests happening in Iran the last three months. Over 18,000 people arrested, nearly 500 killed. And I don't think the players really distinguished themselves in their, in their courage the way that a lot of these protesters in Iran have, have distinguished themselves, especially these women who have taken to the streets, removed their headscarves. And there have actually been prominent female athletes who have who removed their headscarves. So I think the, the players, in, a, in some ways, didn't rise to the expectations that many Iranians had for them. So we know that there was the, the, the you know, they were, we were told they had to behave. The team captain, his name is Esan Hajsafi, um, offered condolences to the families of a nine-year-old um, who was killed. Uh, a Swedish-born midfielder named Saman Goro spoke out, uh, pro, you know, in favor of the protest. So there have been some things, yes. and the government has threatened them. Do you think that the reason they haven't done more is they're afraid that their families will be hurt. That was one of the threats that we uh, that was reported that their, their families have been threatened. Probably their their assets have been uh, you know thre- threatened as well. But these are historic times in yeah. Iran, and Iran is a soccer fanatic nation. And I think there was a hope among many Iranians who who viewed these players as heroes yeah. that they would do even more to be the voice of the nation. And as I said, I think there was a historic opportunity for some of these players to rise to the occasion. Yeah. I don't think that they they shame themselves, yeah. but nor did they really distinguish themselves the way that a lot of uh, Iranians hoped they would. And there are these reports that people in Iran were cheering for the Americans. Is that true? There's actually videos out in many cities throughout uh, Iran of uh, the country celebrating America's victory. Uh, 
letting off fireworks when the United States scored. And what the Islamic Republic of Iran was hoping for was a propaganda victory mm -hmm. against their arch nemesis, the United States. And it is really embarrassing for the regime that you have, you know, thousands of Iranians now celebrating America's victory against the the, the team of Meli, the, the national soccer team. Yeah. You know, I, we were talking in the break that this does remind me of being a kid and watching, you know, when the old Soviet Union used to exist and used to wonder, you know, are, are folks going to protest? Might they defect? Like, there's this sense that the, 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 the old strictures of the Soviet Union were falling away, that the regime was crumbling. Yes. Where does this end? Because it feels like these protests, this isn't the Green Revolution. This is deeper. I, I think this is the most consequential civil rights movement in the world today. The results would not be felt just in Tehran. If this movement succeeds, it would be felt globally. Yeah. And I think there is a very clear dividing line of a, of a, a, a you know, young, modern society that wants wholesale change. And again, they were hoping that the, the national soccer team would be very firmly on their side. Yeah. And it wasn't the way they hoped it would be. It would be. But the thing is, is there more that you think they might do? I mean, they still have time. They have not returned yet. Um, would you expect that they'll make some other statement or that something else will happen? So the two most famous soccer players in modern Iranian history, Ali Karimi and Ali Dai, they're kind of like the LeBron James and Michael Jordan of Iranian sports. Yeah. Ali Karimi uh, is, is in exile. He's yeah. been receiving death threats. Ali Dai is inside the country, could be arrested at any time. Wow. And I think this is what people are hoping for. You guys are our heroes. Yeah. Stand up for us. Be our voice. Yeah, I mean, because you're seeing these young women... Um, Incredible bravery. You're, there's nothing like it, as you said, uh, in the world right now. It is an incredible movement of bravery. And by the way, we're facing some issues with uh, people who want theocracy here in the United States. Yes. So we, we know Take the how important it is. Yeah. Take the lesson. Kareem Sajapur, thank, thank you, you so Joy. much. It's been wonderful talking with you. Uh, and we'll be right back after this. That is tonight's readout. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you all tomorrow. Hey, friends, are you struggling to attract and retain top talent? If you're worried about recruiting and retention, consider Insperity, a leading HR provider. They'll help you improve hiring and compensation practices so you can spend more time growing your business and less time on HR. Visit Insperity.com and download their free ebook on how to build your dream team. Don't let a lack of talent hinder your success. See how Insperity provides HR that makes a difference at Insperity.com.